Welcome to The Peel, where we break through the surface of sustainability in Florida and get to the juicy stuff at the center of it all. I'm your host, Amber Whittle, Executive Director of South Bay, Sarasota. We're a nonprofit that is increasing the resilience, affordability, and health of Florida's buildings and communities, and we're saving the planet along the way. Check out our programs and events at southbase.org, Sarasota. Our guest today is John Thaxton, the Senior Vice President for Community Investment at the Gulf Coast Community Foundation. Welcome, John, and thanks for joining us on The Peel. Oh, glad to be here, Amber. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity. So you have a very storied history in Sarasota. Can you share it with us? Um, well, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version because we only have uh, a few minutes and I could consume all of it with just a single question. Um, but in my family came uh, to Sarasota about five generations ago. Um, Sarasota was obviously a fraction of itself. Um, they had an emporium on Main Street and um, some of them were in agriculture. I was um, mostly born and raised in the central part of Sarasota County um, in a building that is now Rossler's Restaurant. Um, I grew up on a chicken farm. We had several thousand chickens, cattle, um, swine, <clears throat> and turkey. And so I was hunting in what is now uh, Palmer, Palmer Ranch. And m most of my family were hunter-fishermen type, outdoorsmen and outdoors women. And I just, um, I was a juvenile delinquent. I had a hard time staying out of juvenile jails and um, out of trouble. And I had a high school biology teacher that evidently saw something in me that could be uh, beneficial. So he took me under his wing and taught me about biological sciences. And from there, I started learning about land conservation and land use and land use law and was able to take this this derelict attitude that I have that kept getting me arrested. And I started committing legal troublemaking things. Um, and it was mostly around the, the natural environment. So I started um, land conservation. I, at one time, attempted to reroute I-75 coming through Sarasota County. Um, that was a miserable failure, but it was my first um, conservation endeavor. And from there, I was hooked. And so there's hardly been a day since 1973 that I haven't done something relative to conserving the natural resources in Sarasota County. And of course, that pathway took me to the Planning Commission, ultimately to the Board of County Commissioners, and then finally here at the Gulf Coast Community Foundation. Well, those are great stories because I've heard your life stories in several different forums, and that was the first time I'd ever heard that. I hadn't heard that you're a juvenile delinquent. Well, there's <laughs> when, when you're contemplating um, advancements in your careers and things like that, it's nothing that you brag about. And I'm not bragging about it now. Um, it is just part of, of, my, of my past. But the only thing I'm looking forward to now in terms of career advancement is retirement. And so it no longer is a big deal. But I will tell you that when I first ran for office, um, I made it clear that I had that record because I did not want someone stumbling upon it and then saying, oh, well, look what I found. Um, so if I made it public and I came out and they're all, you know, juvenile crimes um, yeah. that could be twisted into something serious. So um, it's never been something that I've been overt about. But at the same time, I'm not overtly concealing it so that people 
um, are surprised when they hear it. I'm actually not surprised now that I think about it because yes. you're a rabble rouser. Yes. You don't mind speaking truth to power, even when you are power. I remember when you were on the commission, you would often be the dissenting voter, the dissenting voice. So I think that there's a positive side to that. Yeah. <laughs> to your path. I unfortunately wouldn't recommend it as a path for youth today. No. Um, because if you, I have four arrests on my, on my record and a child today would never be able to accomplish what I had if they had that burden to carry. In the mid-1970s, it was just not as, as troublesome. And I talk to youth groups on occasions, and the first thing I get is that's not fair. And I acknowledge it's not fair because so many of these kids have troubled lives at home. That manifests itself into trouble in the classroom and ruining their potential, their career advancement as an adult or um, crimes of that nature is in and of itself a crime. I agree. I think about that with my kids a lot, how there are so many more consequences to just doing what we would have called stupid kid things, even at school, right? So you're talking about homeschool, school, you can do something stupid and be kicked out, like smoking in the bathroom or something, you know, like that, that it used to just sort of be like, oh, <laughs> no. All right. So I always think of you as the lead crusader for affordable housing in Sarasota. It's an issue you've been working on for a long time, and you have an amazing breadth and depth of knowledge about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the issue and the history? Sure. Well, I got involved in affordable housing um, at a very early age. My father was a real estate broker, and so I went to work for his real estate firm um, before I was old enough to get a license, so I must have been about 16 or, or so. And I got my license as soon as I was age eligible to do so. But at the time, I, at 18 years of age, I was barely shaven and I looked like a 14 year old kid. Well, there's not many people that want to entrust their largest investment to a 14 year old kid. So I found that um, there was another group of buyers out there, the buyers that needed to go through FHA or VA financing, uh, first-time home buyers. And a lot of the real estate professionals didn't really want to work with them because they're difficult transactions to close because they all have, you know, zero to bad credit history. They all have high ratio loan to values. And when you do close them, uh, those that did close, because most of them didn't close because of those reasons, the commission was really small. So you could do half the work and get three times the commission selling other properties, but I didn't have that luxury uh, looking like a 14-year-old. So I started working with first-time home buyers and FHA buyers, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. It was one of the most re rewarding things that I've ever done to take a young family or a young couple and get them in their first house, <clears throat> watch them build equity, and then come back and build more equity somewhere else, or to take these individuals and help them negotiate the um, this circuitous, ridiculous formulas to getting these FHA and VA loans. So that's when I first got into affordable housing, and I it really has never left my um, left my blood. I worked on it as a planning commissioner and as a search of the county commission, and um, then with all of the circumstances that have changed to create this remarkably unaffordable uh, housing environment in Sarasota, um, I became deeply engaged in it because 
I looked at affordable housing. I, first off, housing is not a, a luxury. Housing is a necessity. You need housing just as much as you need water and, and food. Without housing, um, life is is just not um, it's just not livable. And so I looked at all of the challenges that that these young families and these lower income households were were facing. And at the core, I found housing. And if they were struggling with housing, the kids are struggling in school. The um, uh, mental health of the family as a unit is is suffering. Physical health is suffering. The kids aren't going to college. So I looked at affordable housing as one of those, one of those core issues that if we can fix affordable housing, then half of our healthy human services challenges go away. They just disappear because you removed all of that stress and all of that anxiety and all of that financial burden that is bringing these families, bringing these families down. Um, so I've got myself on many and all committees. I regularly appear before cities and county uh, commission advocating for policy change and um, and things of that nature so that we can bring some um, equity to these families and enable these families to be on a, lay, a level playing field in, in terms of creating a sustainable environment with their children so that um, all of these other problems don't appear. What are some of the numbers for Sarasota County? Um, like, I think I remember you saying once with all of the promised affordable housing um, permits that went with increased density, almost none of those have been. Yeah, have been I think done. I think that the numbers that I like to have people uh, can consider. First off, let's start. What is what is affordable housing? And everybody has these crazy terms of attainable housing and workforce housing. And, um, you know, I don't like all the fancy words. I, I call that affordable housing. Um, you know, housing is affordable if a household need not spend more than 30% of their household income to um, to sustain housing. So real simple, 30% of what you make goes to, goes to housing. And if there's no housing available for that 30%, um, then that's when the troubles are, are, um, are creating. So in Sarasota County, we have 172,000 households in, in the county as a whole. This includes the city. And an amazing 40% of these households, so over 62,000 households in Sarasota County are what we call cost burden, meaning that they're spending more than 30% of their income on housing. So we, we look at the sheer demand uh, for affordable housing versus the available supply. We're talking a deficit of thousands, potentially tens of thousands of, of units. And that magnitude is important for people to understand because if you look at the supply side of affordable housing, if you look at all the great work that the Sarasota Housing Authority does and the Office of Housing and Community Development and all the philanthropy and all these other agencies and even some uh, for-profit builders, um, they're hard pressed to produce 10 units, 20 units or 100 units. And we're simply not going to get there by solely looking at the supply side of the affordable housing equation, because it is a market driven supply and demand um, problem that is only going to be cured by having the supply and the demand equalized. You want to have as, as much supply. So 
Um, one of the things that I have been advocating for recently that has caused a great deal of, of controversy is we still need to be doing all of these things on the supply side. Um, but on the demand side, we need to be looking what is causing this, in, this constantly increasing demand on affordable housing. And the vast majority of that demand is being created by the creation and approval of new development units in Sarasota County that require and demand a very large service workforce that does not meet that 30% threshold. So the idea of inclusionary zoning is that any and every time a new subdivision is approved, um, a certain percentage of those housing units are affordable and the percentage of affordable housing units that are supplied is commensurate with the demand that those new units are creating. So it's very much like, um, like we do with schools or utilities. If, if you create a demand for 25 affordable units and the market is not um, creating this, which it can't because they, uh, the, the cost of material supplies and everything, um, then you as a developer must provide uh, those 25 units. So now we're addressing the problem from both the supply and the demand side. Because what's happening now is we work on the supply side, we create 200 units, and then two days later, we approve a, a new subdivision or new condominium that creates a demand for 400 units. So you're, you're, you're constantly going in the, in, the, um, in the wrong direction. So the, my argument was that if you go back, and I have done this, I have done it with the help of county staff and, and um, people on the inside of government, not just me on the outside. Um, I one time went back and, and looked at all the comprehensive land policies in Sarasota County that deal with affordable housing. And then I got permission from the county commission to quantify the efficacy of these policies, how many units were created. And out of the 26 or so policies, there's not a single unit created out of any of them. And if I go back and if I look at these concepts that on the surface sound good, it's frankly bumper sticker politics, mm -hmm. that if we create, if we, if we make more land available for housing, then housing prices will go down. And if we increase the density on parcels from say agricultural land to residential land, other uh, prices will go down. Well, we have been opening up more land for development and increasing density in Sarasota County for the 40 years, 44 years that I've been looking at. And then I would suggest that I've been as active in those land use decisions as any person in the county that's not being paid to be active in those decisions. And the opening up of new land and increased density also has never yielded a single affordable housing unit. So we need to start thinking about this in a different way because clearly this, you know, this, oh, it's just about supply and demand. And if we increase the, the supply, we'll meet the demand and the price. No, no, that's not true because we're increasing. We're going from a, a, a cattle ranch to a gated subdivision. And every unit in that gated subdivision is $700,000 plus. And every 15 to 25 homes in that subdivision creates another demand for an affordable housing unit that is not being met by the marketplace. That's why we're in such a pickle that we find ourselves in today. And so I would contend that we continue on the good work that we're doing with the supply side. Um, but we also look at the demand side. What's, what's, what's creating this problem in the first place? And let's address it there. So at least 
we're not digging ourselves into a deeper hole. And just for one point of clarification, you're not going to get affordable housing without, without increased density. Let's be clear about that. I mean, I'm not dishing density as, as, as a bad thing. I'm just saying that approving density without a mandate for affordable housing um, has not produced any affordable housing. But you're not going to get affordable housing in areas that are close to the workforce unless you increase density. So increased density is a component of the solution. And so you're saying, obviously, there's a philanthropic and the nonprofit side that are working um, they to increase supply, but obviously haven't gotten anywhere near close. Um, and you said, so there are private builders that are doing it. What's their incentive? Is it is it truly is it well, really just yeah. good? Well, there's some out there that you know the um, the Vendross and the Brad Bakers of the world, um, who with a little bit of incentive, such as um, reducing or eliminating impact fees, expediting permitting, increasing density, increasing height, um, assistance with utilities such as roads and water and sewer, uh, they can actually afford to build affordable units, usually 100 to 120 percent of area mm-hmm. mean income, um, and make us a small profit. Clearly, they could be going with market rate homes and making a lot more profit. Um, and there's more. There's not just the two. Um, uh, I mean, Ian Black just did one at the corner of Bay Vista and, um, and Tuttle uh, that the city commission thankfully just approved the other day, where um, they will profitize off of it, but they're also going to be um, voluntarily invoking this inclusionary zoning so that while they might be creating the demand for more affordable housing, there's going to be more affordable housing within their development. And frankly, that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be putting all of our affordable housing in one location, right? It needs to be integrated into the communities where these individuals are are working. And that's, again, one of the um, assets of inclusionary zoning is that it's not all in one place you know you have the it's mixed within the um the market rate homes um so yeah there's there's some some good things going on out there but we continue to fall behind i'm right now doing a um an assessment of the number of units that have been approved in sarasota county over the last 20 years i'm almost done with that um but i can safely say now that those new units were created and they created a demand for over 7,000 affordable housing units with absolutely no affordable housing units being built. Had we had an inclusionary zoning, there would be six to 7,000 permanently affordable housing units in Sarasota County. And I would suggest that had we been doing this over the last 20 years, we would have an affordable housing problem now, not an affordable housing crisis. Yep. I mean. I think I always think of that same thing with green building also, right? So we've talked before about affordable housing being affordable once you live in it too. So, you know, doing energy efficiency, solar. Uh, But I was talking to Lee Hayes Byron and she was saying how um, in the 90s when when their office started, they were, we were way ahead of the curve. We had tons of private builders who were really interested in green building. And now we've fallen behind. We don't have the the individual developers who are willing to make a smaller profit to put out green the same way you're talking about affordable housing too yeah. and then and, the and I, I don't really even like calling it green per se uh, but those cost saving measures um 
while we may be motivated by carbon reduction and fuel consumption lowering and things like that, the real benefit um, of doing that is when these families getting into their homes, a smaller percentage of their income is going to pay these utilities. That means a greater percentage can go towards educating their children and providing for healthy, nutritious yeah. food <laughs> and, 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 and safe and reliable transportation. Yeah. Um, and that's, for me, that's more than just a windfall. For me, that's the driving motive. Absolutely. We've, uh, we have a new tagline that sustainability is savings. And that's why we look at health, too, and doing, you know, environmental or energy upgrades for health, because if you have to choose between turning on the air and feeding people, you know, feeding your family, you're going to feed your family and then you're exactly. going to let mold and mildew and everything else. That's, let's, let's pause right here. Yeah. I want to address that. So we have almost 20,000 families in Sarasota County that are not really breaking the 30 percent threshold. We have families that are breaking the 50 percent threshold. Eighteen to 20,000 of them. Again, we're not talking small numbers here. We're talking very substantial numbers. And by the way, these are all working people. We call them Alice families, which is asset limited income controlled, income um, um, constrained employed. So these are working people. These are, you know, these are, these are people putting in 60 to 80 hours individually um, a week, but they still have to put 80% of their income towards housing. Well, then that's money that they're not going to have for childcare, for healthy, nutritious food, for reliable transportation. And so for these fam- families, the growing number of families that are producing more than 50, that are requiring more than 50% of their income to go towards housing, they're like seven, four to $700 away from losing the house that they're in. Now there was a time where that was a problem, um, but today it's a catastrophe because today there is no other place for them to go. Many of them are losing their leases because the um, landlords are increasing the rents. I don't blame the landlords. I'm one myself, so I'm not casting aspersion on what they need to do. Um, it's simply a market-driven decision. Um, but we're now seeing the lack of housing for our low-income working families contributing directly to homelessness. I mean, that, and that's new. I mean, it's always been a factor, but now it's beginning to do become a driving force. And I fear that all the great work that Sarasota County and the city of Sarasota and others have, have done in reducing the uh, chronic homeless numbers in fact, by double digits three years in a row, I don't think we're going to see that um, in the next couple of years because we have now this new dimension of people becoming homeless. It's not individuals that are struggling from substance abuse or mental health issues. Um, it's now families that j- just simply, there are no jobs out there that pay enough so that they can afford to rent close to where they're working and their children are going to school. And of course, every Sarasotan complains about traffic. Yes. So if you want to make it about you, make it how all these people are having to drive from Ellington, or it used to be Parrish. It's not even that. It's, it moves further and further, yeah. moves further and further away. Yes, when you when you get into transportation planning, you learn these these two little catch lines. It's called VMTs, vehicle mile travel, and uh, PM peaks, and and those are the measurements that we use for concurrency determinations and other things. But basically, it, it tells you how many cars are on the road. Well, if you're drought, if you're on the road for 45 minutes to an hour, driving 30, 40 miles to get to your place of employment, you're still 
your destination is your destination. So if we can take that person and increase densities close to where they're working, they first off, they have other transportation options now. They don't necessarily have to drive. But secondly, they're only going to be on the road for five minutes and then their car is off of the road. So the traffic congestion and all of the increased costs of transportation, both in terms of air and water quality, in terms of road maintenance and road construction, all of that is decreased by having housing of our workforce located near the workplace. And it decreases their bills too. It did, tremendously. And keep in mind, they, unlike myself, they're not driving up a brand, you know, near new hybrid vehicle that's getting yeah. 55 miles to the gallon and is reliable as the sunrise. They're driving older model cars that have very poor mileage and they're just simply not reliable. Yeah. So for my last question, you talked about conservation and you talked about affordable housing, a little bit of your two loves and something you had said really sticks with me um, that by 2030, all the land in Sarasota County will be spoken for, whether development or conservation or future development. So how does this affect affordable housing? Well, for, I'm not, I don't remember the year 2030, <laughs> but I say a lot of things I, I forget. Um, but this is a result of, at a young age, as I told you, I was working in a real estate office. And we used to get these things called ready maps. And ready maps were half-section aerial photographs of the county. And I got them for year after year after year after year. And I kept them. And it was amazing to me. This was before we had all the... The, the luxuries that we have today of digitized, you know, satellite. I mean, we, it was before all that. Um, but as a 20-year-old, um, I'm looking at these ready maps, and I'm remembering these places where I used to go hunting um, in Sarasota County, and they were all disappearing. So one day, I took a map of the county, and... I used highlighters. Again, this is before the, the fancy stuff. It all had to be done manually. And I just charted all of the land that was slated for development, approved for development, or land that had been uh, developed. And then it was shocking to me, just, just what was what was left. So, Do you all, keep doing that? Do you use the same? I, no, 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 no. I don't do it like that anymore. No, uh, actually, other people do it now. Um, thank goodness for the Conservation Foundation of Gulf Coast. They're they're the stewards of that um, of, of that mapping now. But it, it really is what motivated uh, myself and my very dear friend John O'Miller uh, to start the Environmental Lands Campaign because it was clear to me that if I live to be the predicted age of a six foot five white male living in America, every significant parcel, every parcel of land in Sarasota County will either be committed to development or conservation. And that just scared the hell out of me. Nope. That just, that rattled my cage to think that every generation of Sarasota, beginning with Aboriginals five, 7,000 years ago, their children had always had a choice about and ultimately, in use, what should what should happen to this land? We're the last generation that will have that as as a choice. It will be a default decision from this point forward. And so, I'd also been doing a great deal of work in um, in, in coding, 
uh, not computer coding, but um, land development regulations mm -hmm. and code with comprehensive plans and, and zoning codes. And I also saw their vulnerability. And you're seeing a great deal of that right now in Sarasota, where you're seeing a lot of land that was uh, presumed to be uh, agricultural heritage areas uh, being changed um, through legal proceedings to more of this land consumptive uh, 3.5 unit per acre urban sprawl. So the only thing that I felt in general that was going to be permanent would be to remove the development rights through conservation easement or acquisition, because we had seen the passion and the ownership that citizens take of public lands. Mm -hmm. Unlike a zoning code change where you can just do it after an advertisement and that nobody reads, or a, um, a land use change that very few people pay attention to and that are heavily funded um, by individu individuals and entities that stand to profit by it. Um, public lands are different. Public lands become, um, the, they're the property of the public and the public gets very protective over them. So we felt that that was a, a vehicle to do it. Um, we made the decision, um, people now characterize it as a brilliant decision. I wouldn't characterize it as, as brilliant, um, but we made the decision to go to the voters and not only approve a tax to buy this land, but also to approve the bonding. And that bonding gave Sarasota County the cash to go into the marketplace and negotiate arm's length transactions to preserve these environmentally sensitive lands. And I'm not so sure outside of those environmental lands, what will be left in terms of natural areas in Sarasota County when I have lived my life. So that's that's kind of that story. It was it was this epiphany um, of an ultimate destination that to me was sad. And the best way that we could offset it was to give the public the domain over what those decisions were in the public in Sarasota County loves their open space, their wildlife, their parks, their water protection areas. Yeah. So I, you know, it's, it's, I feel very comfortable and very good about that. Yep. The legacy trail, the bay, everything we do, people, people love. Yeah. Love them both. I'm glad to have been an, a, a, gen, a, a founding partner in both the legacy trail and the, and the bay. They're, they're just amazing projects. We had, over a quarter million people on the Legacy Trail. I, I, I can assure you that when the first groups of us sat around, the, the Bruce Dillons and the Billy Weatheringtons, and thinking about this concept of a, of a trail, um, the thought that we would have a quarter million users on it never, <laughs> we never, never crossed our minds. And, and when Michael Poivre first started thinking about the Bay, the, um, the level that A.G. Laffley and the Bay Park Conservancy Board of Directors has taken that project, even that um, far ex exceeds the expectations of, of the founders. And so that's a really good thing. I love that. Yeah. That's great. So thank you to John and thanks for listening to The Peel. To get involved in South Face Sarasota, visit southface.org, Sarasota. Until next time, stay sunny.